Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. I think we're probably going to do a water cooler episode this week, talking about what we were doing over Labor Day and all that stuff. But Peter is covering a theme park event today. So uh, let's talk about some new stuff. Um, Chris, I think right before the holiday weekend, some news broke about Richard Linklater's next movie. What do we know about this film? Yes, so uh, Richard Linklater is doing a adaptation of Merrily We Roll Along, which is a Stephen Sodheim musical. And um, much like he did with Boyhood, where he shot that over a period of about 12 years, he is going to shoot this film over a period of 20 years. At least that's the re- what the report says. I, For some reason, I feel like this isn't true, but it is yet to be debunked but the you know the the play the musical is set over a course of 20 years and it follows this playwright as he becomes uh you know a a famous hollywood screenwriter and uh i guess 
<laughs> Rachel McClendon wants to do this literally, where instead of just you know having the film take place over 20 years, it's, it's literally going to be shot over 20 years. And 20 years from now, we'll we'll see it. <laughs> okay, if we're still here. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean that that raises a lot of questions about like the future of entertainment and like are movies even going to be you know a, a consumable thing in the same way that they are right now in 20 years? That's like. It sounds like an ambitious project on several fronts, but maybe the most ambitious of them all is just the assumption that, you know, this thing, this kind of, kind of thing will actually be released 20 years from now. I, I'm wondering, Chris, have you seen this play before? I know you you uh, have seen a few here and there, right? No, I, I have not seen this one. Has anybody here seen this? Because I've, I've never even heard of this project before. I I can't say nope. I have seen it. Okay, so I guess just I'm going to open the floor to you guys. Like, what do you think about the idea of shooting a movie in real time over 20 years? Like, aside from the the documentary series, uh, I think it's Michael Apted that does the um, the 7 Up or the Up series. Like, every seven years, I think it is, he uh, reconvenes the same group of people that he's been interviewing for, like, the past absurd number of years i don't have the numbers in front of me right now but um other than that i think this might be like one of the longer movies like to ever go into production what do you guys make of this well i mean let's not forget that boyhood did pretty much the same thing yeah yeah but i mean that's 12 years and this is 20 and and i i would argue that like the uh the movie going infrastructure as it exists right now is like in a more um, delicate place than it was over the 12 years that he shot boyhood. But what do you think? HT? I am a fan of Richard Linklater, but I do think that he pulled off this shooting a big project over time conceit best with his before trilogy. He shot the first one back in, uh, or released the first one back in 1995. And then the second, the sequel before sunset came out in 2004 for the the trilogy finished off with 2013 film before midnight. And I feel like because the before trilogy kind of came together more organically and more spontaneously, it has that authenticity that I really value in like later films. Whereas boyhood, I enjoyed the, for the experiment, but I can't say that I like, I would say that's one of his best films. So I don't know. He also already won the Oscar for Boyhood. So does he need to prove anything more? Maybe he just likes experimenting with the format, which, you know, props to him. But it just feels like he's done it already so well the first time around that he doesn't need to do this again. Yeah. And time, you know, the idea of time has been something that he's played with a lot as a, a filmmaker. So it's certainly something that that, as you guys have mentioned, you know, is is right there in his wheelhouse. But, um, Chris, this movie is supposed to star Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein. What do you think about those two as, like, rising stars and, like, potential, uh, you know, like, will people remember who they are or be interested in them 20 years from now? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like both of them. I think they're both pretty great. But yeah, not to, <laughs> I you know, this whole thing just sounds like a logistical nightmare to me. I mean, you know, on one hand, I appreciate that Linklater wants to try something new. I mean, that's really cool, but I just can't help but think like, you know, uh, heaven forbid, but like one of, what if one of these actors gets in like a, you know, like a car crash or something like, and they're, you know, <laughs> what if they like retire from acting? You know, it's like, I'm done with acting. Like what's, what is he going to do? Like, I just, I can't imagine how this is going to play out. And again, like we said to begin with, I can't imagine anything being around 20 years from now. I'm having a hard time, like five years from now, picturing that, let alone 20. Like I just picture like a movie theater in like the, the 
Mad Max Fury Road Wasteland, <laughs> and like it's like has like the marquee. It's like playing tonight. Merrily we roll around. We like we ride our our fucking dune buggies up with like bones all over them. Hey, that sounds <laughs> kind of awesome, Chris. So I mean, I yeah, I guess. <laughs> Like, we pay with, like, teeth. Like, there's no, like, money anymore. We just, like, throw a bunch of teeth down. Like, one ticket, please. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's hope that uh, that we don't end up living in that future. But uh, let's turn our attention to uh, the future, or, or the past, actually, in, in a galaxy far, far away, a long time ago. Brad, uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Let's talk about it. You wrote two articles about this film that I, I think have some stuff that's worth discussing. First up, J.J. Uh, Abrams talked about how Star Wars The Last Jedi didn't really ruin his plans for The Rise of Skywalker. So what did he say and what do you think he means by that? Yes, well, as we all know, Star Wars The Last Jedi is very good. And there has been no dissension about that whatsoever <laughs> online or, or anywhere else in pop culture. Um <laughs> But uh, there is a small contingent of radical Star Wars fans who think that The Last Jedi requires some kind of fixing or repairs by J.J. Abrams in order to properly complete the Star Wars saga, or the, the Skywalker saga, as it were. Um, however, J.J. Uh, Abrams was recently uh, asked about whether or not he needed to do any sort of uh, redirection or anything like that regarding the story for the rise of Skywalker after the events of the last Jedi. And Abrams, uh, said briefly, quote, the story that we're telling the story that we started to conceive when we did the force awakens was allowed to continue. Episode eight didn't really derail anything that we were thinking about. Um, and so he's not necessarily specific with regards to, uh, what storyline or any overarching plot ideas they might've had that they hoped would be picked up and carry over from the force awakens. But it, it might be safe to assume that he's talking about, um, one, Rey's parentage, which has been a very hot-button topic for Star Wars fans as to whether or not Kylo Ren is telling the truth um, about her parents being nobodies or whether or not she has some ties to either the Skywalkers or the Kenobis or um, Palpatine or any number of Star Wars characters uh, that could have helped her become this uh, powerful Jedi. And it also uh, makes us think that likely Supreme Leader Snoke probably wasn't ever going to be the big bad villain in the same way that Emperor Palpatine was in the original trilogy, and that Abrams had always at least hoped or wanted to bring the story back around to Palpatine to properly finish uh, the, the Skywalker saga. Palpatine was a key part of the prequel trilogy, uh, he was, you know, the puppeteer behind Vader and the Empire and the original trilogy. And now it seems that maybe he maybe he's been behind the First Order or he's at least been biding his time. And maybe we'll end up using Kylo Ren in some way to uh, help push forth what he didn't get to achieve uh, in Return of the Jedi. But it would seem that the at the very least, maybe the larger threads of what Abrams introduced in The Force Awakens have not been... Uh, disturbed by any decisions that Ryan Johnson made in The Last Jedi. At the same time, he could also just be playing nice and not wanting to, you know, throw any bad words towards Ryan Johnson simply because 
you know, they're, I'm sure that they're friendly, and there's no reason to throw another guy under the bus in this kind of situation. Right. Um, HT, I know you're a big fan of The Last Jedi, and, and do, do these comments uh, put you at ease at all about the notion, the speculation that's been out there about how Abrams might potentially sort of rewrite and, and retcon some of the, the events that happened in The Last Jedi? Does hearing him say that he's not going to uh, really do that or imply that he's not really going to do that make you feel any better about uh, the rise of Skywalker? I'm still nervous. I'm still very nervous just by the presence of Palpatine. Um, but it does, I guess there's, I, I have I have confidence, hopefully. I have hope. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I have hope that J.J. Abrams uh, is, uh, you know, being true to his word. And, you know, of course, everything that Ryan Johnson did uh, did have whatever um, permission from the Lucasfilm story group too. So it's not like he completely derailed whatever plans that were initially set in place when J.J. Abrams took over with Force Awakens to begin with. So I'm sure there was some back and forth between them and J.J. Abrams won't like, uh, you know, outright rewrite everything that Ryan Mm -hmm. Johnson did. So, yeah. I have hope. <laughs> um, Chris, what about you? Same question. I, I know you're a big fan of Last Jedi as well. Like the, yeah. What do you make of this? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'll feel better after I see the movie, or I'll feel worse. I don't know. But I, um, you know, I, I like J.J. Abrams. I like uh, The Force Awakens. I love The Last Jedi. I hope this has a exciting conclusion but i still can't get over the whole emperor thing i mean again i'm willing to give it a chance and i hope it does work in the context of the movie but i i continue to think bring the emperor back in any way is a really lazy idea especially you know i don't want to get in a rant here but like if the last two movies they had kept hinting at that like oh the emperor is out there then i'd be like that's fine but there's there's been no mention uh, even like a hint of this and mm-hmm. uh, now it's like oh by the way he's on the poster now and it just seems right. really really lazy to me but i hope i'm wrong i hope it ends up working really well so we are uh, chris i actually would recommend going back and watching force awakens and less jedi because there are some shots and i won't say where because i think it should be a surprise where if you go frame by frame and look in the background you see the cloaked figure of the emperor just in the background snickering <laughs> oh wow <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to look for this now i'm now i'm intrigued strings around his fingers too <laughs> oh <laughs> um all right so we're gonna move on from this in, in just one second but chris I, I wonder what you think about the idea and i i don't know anything about the rise of Skywalker, what's going to happen. This is just pure speculation on my part. What if it's not the actual living emperor? What if it's just, uh, you know, he's a force ghost or it's more about like his legacy or, um, you know, the, his influence. Uh, and, and it's not as, um, I don't know, literal as it seems to be right now. Would that, uh, strike you better? I don't know. It all, it still seems lazy to me, but, I'd feel a lot better if it was like a flashback rather than he's still alive in some way. Like, right. I don't know. He's, he's a robot now. Like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't need any of that. Like, just stop. Okay. All right. So let's move on to Poe Dameron. Um, Brad, what do we know about what the rise of Skywalker is going to reveal about Poe? Uh, he's very handsome. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so uh, Oscar Isaac plays Poe Dameron in the uh, new star Wars trilogy. And he's basically been portrayed as uh, a little bit of a Han Solo type. He's kind of got that 
uh, roguish attitude about him, a little bit of a rebel, um, even though he's part of the resistance and not the rebel alliance. Bow, 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 bow. Um, but he doesn't really have much of a backstory that has been revealed within the movies themselves. Uh, there have been some comic books that show uh, different missions that he's gone on and things like that that have expanded his character a bit. But we don't really know much about his past before he was part of the Resistance. Uh, and it sounds like the movie might give us a little bit more insight into that uh, based on an interview that he had with the Associated Press during uh, the D23 Expo. And Oscar Isaac said, quote, particularly with Poe, I think people will be surprised to see that he has a bit more of an ambiguous past. He's not just kind of that squeaky clean flyboy. And so, so far we've seen Poe Dameron as this, you know, uh, resistance pilot, uh, the best one that they have, uh, definitely a hero type, um, always trying to do the right thing, even if he screws up like he did in The Last Jedi. But it seems like uh, there might be more to his background that we don't know about. And I think that that's probably tied to the new character that Carrie Russell is playing, uh, who's called Zori Bliss. Uh, she's a, a smuggler, bounty hunter type. We've seen some pictures of her from the Vanity Fair spread. She kind of looks like the Rocketeer uh, wearing a dark purple bodysuit and a shiny golden helmet. And it was recently revealed at D23 that Poe Dameron and Zori Bliss have a bit of a history, but they wouldn't elaborate on that. Um, but thanks to Vanity Fair, we know that Zori Bliss, uh, we will meet her in this place called the Thieves Quarter on this new uh, snow-dusted planet called Kijimi or Kihimi, however it's going to be pronounced. So I'm willing to bet that Poe Dameron was probably a smuggler like Han Solo, maybe even a thief who worked with Zori Bliss uh, and before the Resistance and maybe wasn't always on the side uh, of the Resistance. Well, I mean, I, again, there, we don't know enough about this to do anything beyond just speculate, but like to me, this sounds great because it, it will hopefully bring some more shades to Poe's character. And as you've said, Brad, he's, he's sort of been... I mean, he's great. I love Oscar Isaac, and and I really like that character. But he has been sort of one note throughout the the first two movies in this trilogy. So you know, anything that could provide him with a little bit more complexity and and some more shading to that character, I think, has to be a good thing, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely nice to have characters who aren't just heroes or villains, but are a little bit more complex and have uh, you know different sides to them that you might not expect. Cool. All right, so let's move on to Netflix. Uh, Netflix is is apparently trying something a little bit different for one of its shows. HT, what do we know here? So the Great British Baking uh, Show released its newest season on Netflix this week, but viewers noticed that it wasn't the entire season as uh, Netflix has been doing in the past. Its binge-watching model has been something that's kind of pioneered ever since it released its original titles like House of Cards, and Orange is the New Black. But with the newest season of The Greatest British, British The Great British Baking Show, uh, it only released the season premiere and it will be shifting to a week-to-week release for this season, kind of in a simultaneous release of the show as it airs in the UK on Channel 4. So this is something that Netflix is uh, shifting to for The Great British Baking Show and for another series called Rhythm and Flow. Although it's actually not quite an entirely new um, release model that they've been doing. They've experimented with other shows like um, The Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj and Chelsea Handler's Chelsea Talk Shows, which were released in a weekly format, and uh, K-dramas as well, which they have... um, which have come from international studios, have been released in a weekly format additionally. So this is something that they may or may not be testing out. And um, it has some people speculating that this could be uh, a 
release model that that Netflix might be leaning into more as its competitors start to grow. Yeah, and we know that Disney Plus is going to be releasing its shows in a weekly format. Um, Chris, you cover the the streaming world pretty regularly. Do you think that the uh, releasing all at once thing that Netflix sort of pioneered, do you think that is essential to Netflix's brand, or do you think that they've established themselves as a you know a giant in this industry right now, and that they can afford to experiment? You know, I've seen a lot of people complaining about the binge model these days, and I, I get it. It does seem like with the binge model, something comes and goes like in the blink of an eye. Like it feels like we're already over like Mindhunter, even though that just came out like a week ago and it was great, but now we're, we've already moved on. So on, on one hand, I get wanting things to slow down and wanting to savor them more, but you know, I, I watched the great British bake off and I was excited when I saw like, Oh, new episodes coming out. I thought it was going to be the whole season. And then when I saw it was, one at a time i was like oh that kind of sucks like i don't i i, I don't know if that's because i'm so used to getting everything at once or or what but i i think netflix is tied to that and they should probably stick with it but i don't know i uh, i guess it remains to be seen uh hd do you think that this is going to be something where like the next season of stranger things for example could be released week to week like what do we know about netflix's plans to potentially implement this strategy in the future So for now, Netflix released a statement on Twitter saying that uh, licensed titles like The Great British Baking Show and another reality series, Rhythm and Flow, will be released weekly. But um, they're not it's not something that's happening with more shows than that for now. So it seems like it's something that's happening with more licensed titles or reality programming versus original titles that are made in-house like Stranger Things. Okay, gotcha. Uh, All right, let's move on to our final news story of the day, and that is a potential it supercut. I don't remember if we talked about this when the it first sort of began. Uh, when rumors about it first began circling uh, not too long ago. But um, I guess just in case we haven't, Chris, tell us about what this might be and uh, the latest about it. Right. So um, Andy Muschietti, the director of It and the upcoming It Chapter 2, has teased in the past the the idea of not just a, a director's cut, but a super cut that would edit both It and It Chapter 2 together into like one big massive movie and um it would it would it wouldn't just be you know splicing the two movies together it would be kind of like how the book is laid out where it jumps back and forth between past and present um so you know in the past andy machete has has said he wants to do that um in a new new interview he he confirmed that he's actually in talks with the studio which would be either warner brothers or new line depending on who who owns what but he's actually in talks with the studio to make it happen and if it does it'll be something like a a six and a half hour uh extravaganza which uh i would love to see honestly just because i'm a fan of the book i'm a fan of the movies um and i would just be very curious to see how that turns out yeah i mean i'm a huge fan of the book as well and um you just wrote or just published a review of it chapter two and i'll link to that in the show notes as well so people can get a chance to um to check that out and the movie comes out this week um i actually had a chance to speak with andy muschietti myself and and he i asked him like 
you know, could you tell me about some of the new material that you would want to include if this ends up happening? And he said basically that he couldn't really talk about it too much. But um, one of the things is something from the book, like some new footage that he wants to include. And then another thing is related to a resolution of the perpetrators of Adrian Mellon's beating. So I'm, I'm not going to get into what that means, but people who have read the book uh, may, uh, you know, have their flags raised and, and understand what that's going, you know, what's going on there. Maybe later this week, I'll play that that interview in full on the podcast. But um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. So um Chris, you, you already said you're interested in seeing this. I certainly am too. Do you think that that the editing styles, uh, that these two stories will mesh together in a supercut in a, in a similar way that they do in the book? Because like you said, it's it's sort of threaded throughout. It's not like one story and then the other, but that's that one story and then the other model is very much how the films play out. So do you think they'll be able to weave those two things seamlessly into a, a supercut like this? I don't know if I, I would say seamlessly, but I actually think it would work. And I actually think it would make uh, Chapter 2 a, a better movie because um, one of the problems I had with it, Chapter 2, is that it really doesn't um, hold up on its own. And I got a lot of guff for saying this on Twitter because people are like, well, no, duh, it's Part 2. But like, you can sit down and you can watch Terminator 2 without having immediately rewatched Terminator 1. This movie, I feel like if you don't immediately watch it part one first and then see this, it this almost feels like a lesser movie. Like this really feels like a, a continuation of stuff that happened in the first movie in ways that a lot of other sequels don't. And I really think that's just because it really wasn't ever intended to be two stories. It was always written you know, by Stephen King as one big story. And I think that really shows in the, in this for this film. So I do think editing them together could work. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think especially like the idea of uh, the fictional town of Derry, Maine as like a, a place that is infected with this sickness is an idea that is portrayed really well in the first movie and is almost completely like forgotten about in the second movie. And Muschietti said in, in the interview with him that I did where he was like, yeah, yeah. He basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, like, it's established in the first movie. I'm guessing a lot of people are going to rewatch the first one, you know, right into, uh, you know, right before they see this. And, like, I don't know if that's a, a great assumption that you can make because everybody's busy. And I, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I agree with you is where, where I boil, boil down there. Um, but HT and, and Brad, what do you guys think about uh, a potential six-plus-hour IT supercut? Is that anything that you would be interested in sitting down and watching? I just think it's funny that already the first film is longer than the, the original 1980s miniseries, so this is going to be like twice the length of that. Um, I don't know. I liked the first IT. I haven't yet seen the second one, although I've heard, I think, some mixed things. Uh, so I'll have to see how, what I think about the second film before I sit down for six hours of that. <laughs> Brad, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely interested if it, you know, is an entirely new cut that bridges the stories together in a way that uh, has it going back and forth between the kids and the adults. You know, I, I think that that's probably a better way to do it than separating it in the way, especially with what uh, you know, Chris has said about chapter two, but since, you know, again, I haven't seen chapter two yet, so I don't necessarily know how I feel about it. Maybe I'll be perfectly fine with it and, uh, I won't need a supercut, but 
you know, if, if he's going to introduce maybe some new footage that is not in either movie or uh, it creates a new context or just a just a better flow for the overall story, then I would probably be willing to check it out. Cool. Yeah, hopefully we'll have that opportunity and we'll, we'll bring you more news uh, with the it supercut as soon as it's like officially confirmed, because right now it's still in the, the early discussion phases. But um all right, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. And again, I'm going to link to Chris's It Chapter 2 review in the show notes, so check that out there. Uh, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Uh, HC, let's start with you. You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Brad? Slashfilm.com, of course, uh, at Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter, and my own stupid podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me on Slashfilm.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find all of the other stories that we talked about on today's show at Slashfilm.com. You can uh, subscribe to the show. It's published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Uh, hit us up on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.